I peered out the window as we made our final approach. Something about this view as we descend from the clouds and gently float back to earth always makes my heart skip a beat. Every time. It doesn't matter that I made it my mission to live as far away from this place as possible. In that moment, my heart knows I've come home. I smile as we touch down on the tarmac and the flight crew enthusiastically welcomes us to the Eastern Iowa Airport. <laughs> it was spring of 1998. As I hustled through the terminal, I saw them, my parents, anxiously awaiting my arrival. After hugs and conversation about my flight from Atlanta, we made the one hour and 15 minute journey to my hometown, Sigourney. <laughs> now back then when you cruised into the city limits, you were greeted by a big sign that made an audacious statement. Welcome to Sigourney, just naturally friendlier. <laughs> it's true. It was a weekend full of fun with family and friends, music, memories, and maybe a few beers. It was so much fun that my friend, my friend Cindy insists to this day that they threw a parade for me. There was no parade that I can remember. <laughs> but my family and friends were excited to see me and I was thrilled to see them. You know, that's kind of how it goes. When you're gone, when you're absent, and I was good at both. But I was even better at making an appearance every now and then. Looking back, the miles I placed between my family and friends was more than just distance between here and there on a map. I separated me from them. I was disconnected and I was living my life from a distance. That was about to change. Little did I know that a small bottle of pills hidden purposely behind the casseroles and desserts my mom had made for my visit home would inspire a letter from my mom. But it wasn't just any letter. You see, letters from my mom were usually filled with updates about family and friends back home. They had lots of hugs and kisses and countless inquiries about my life. They were postcards from the edge that traveled across the miles and often received no reply. You see, I couldn't wait to finish high school, graduate college, and get out of here. And I did. I distanced myself from my family and friends and a small Iowa town named after a movie star. <laughs> All right, that last part wasn't true. But I promise it's my one and only alternative fact of the evening. My hometown was actually named after the American poet Lydia Huntley Sigourney and not the award-winning actress, spelled the same, but pronounced differently, Sigourney Weaver. But that didn't stop me from dreaming of the day that Miss Weaver would attend, as my guest, 
our town's annual 4th of July parade. It certainly was a fanciful thought, especially for a young, imaginative, and gay Iowa boy who today still has lots of those fanciful thoughts and jams to songs like Fancy by Iggy Azalea. <laughs> and as the song goes, so did I. I lived life in the fast lane and moved from city to city, Chicago, Atlanta, New York, and Los Angeles. Distance at first was a beautiful thing. I flourished personally and professionally. I celebrated rather than hid from my identity as a gay man. I built lifelong relationships in my adopted cities, particularly Atlanta. My work took me around the world. I was in the opening ceremonies of the 1996 Olympic Games. I fell in love. But in the process of coming out and living out loud, I remain silent with the most important part of me, my family. I was loved by my parents, my siblings, and neighbors in a community that embraced each child as its own. You know the best thing about growing up in a small town? It's that everybody knows everybody. The worst thing about growing up in a small town is that everybody knows everybody. The ritual of growing up gay in rural America, even today, is often a function of that paradox. It was the 1980s, gay was everywhere, Boy George and Culture Club, Elton John Dynasty, and of course, Freddie Mercury and Queen. Gay was something you were, it was fun and entertaining, but it wasn't really something you should actually be. Queer was not welcome here. Now to be fair, my hometown, it was and is full of open hearts and open minds. To be equally fair, there are people who dismiss, demean, and abdicate discrimination against anyone who's different or outside their worldview. Those people are usually the loudest. And those voices almost always originate from one place, the church. I knew the message as well. I sat there week after week as pastor pontificated about the evils of homosexuality. Now, I was already a confused and very hormonal teenager. And the contradiction between the love and support of my family and friends and their responses to those messages, sowed the seeds of doubt and distrust. Whether it was silence, a random joke, or their support of a political candidate or leader who echoed those messages from the pulpit, the effect was the same. Do they know I'm gay? Do they agree with that? And what about all those gay people who are dying from that new disease? If we, you, you, you and you, and me, are made in God's image, why would he choose only to punish me? So I lived my life 
from a distance until the letter arrived three months after my visit home. July 28, 1998. Dear Ryan, I've been wanting to write you for weeks to tell you how much I love you and how very concerned I am. Ryan, I want you to be 100% honest with me. Tell me when I say something that bugs you. Tell me when I don't have a clue. I probably don't. But I will never know unless you tell me. Sometimes I may actually have a clue, but you'll never know unless you ask me. Ryan, I'm sure you won't be surprised that we all know you're gay. <laughs> that doesn't change a thing. We love you, period. Ryan, I also know that you're HIV positive. I'm devastated. I can't imagine how you feel. But somehow I sense that you have found strength. That doesn't surprise me. I haven't told anyone. That's your news to share. I want you to be in control. I want you to share your story when you're ready. We all will be there to support you. I know that when this is all out in the open, our bond will be stronger than 500 intertwined railroad ties. But we first have to talk, be vulnerable, just get it out. So that's that. Hope to hear from you. <laughs> I, <laughs> I know you're on everyone's mind. Everyone asks, how's Ryan? Have you heard from Ryan? I hope you come for a visit soon. I want to hug you. Love, Mom. I was 29 years old, and had been living with HIV for three years. HIV and AIDS at that time were in, can still considered inseparable and terminal. I took 36 pills a day. I sold my life insurance policy, and the company that bought it was betting against me. I turned 50 this year. <laughs> On Valentine's Day, to be exact. I didn't have a big party or a parade. Today, HIV is a chronic illness that I manage with just three pills a day, and very soon, just one. The company that bought my life insurance policy is out of business. <laughs> and I'm here, standing here today. <clears throat> you know, when I replay that portion of my life's journey, 
it always comes back to what I learned about courage. Yes, it takes courage to leave home, explore the world, and find yourself. It also helps when your parents raise you to be a curious, independent, and free thinker. It also takes courage to come home, especially when things don't go as you planned. You're never too old or too wise or too cool to come home. I also used to think that standing up, speaking out, and sharing my truth, kind of like I am tonight, is courage. I was wrong. That, my friends, is pride. <laughs> Here's the thing about courage. Courage in its purest form is far removed from the way that most of us typically think about it. And it's rarely recognized, celebrated, awarded, or storied. The linguistic origins of the word courage can be traced back to the French word, and forgive my French, cour, or heart. Courage in that context is the heartfelt expression of the way we live our lives. Author David White puts it this way, courage is what love looks like when tested by the everyday necessities of being alive. Deep stuff. <laughs> My mom taught me a lot about courage or heart when she wrote that letter. But I didn't really get it. I didn't truly understand the enormity of that until I watched my father, my two sisters, and their families, and those who surrounded us and lifted us up with love as they navigated the necessities of being alive as brain cancer. Took my mom, who was by the way, a poet, three years ago. Today, I see courage, heart, everywhere, especially in my family and friends, some of whom are here tonight. <laughs> and here's the kicker. It's extraordinary. And yet, it's so ordinary and common because it's who they are every single day. I can see it now because I'm living life up close and personal and because I'm home. Thank you.